Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight's features showcase the demon knight of the chopping ball himself, Dick Miller. Go ahead and laugh, you guys. But if I ever find a little bastard that did this, they're dead meat. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I'm Thomas Mariani and I'm a grizzled janitor character actor who's going to be in one scene here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm Adam Thomas. Yes, that's that's all he is. Simple, plainly, Adam Thomas. Yep. <laughs> yes, and uh, with us, uh, you can hear him uh, snickering in the background. Is a returning guest. He was on our previous episode on Sam Raimi films. It is the host of the podcast by the Cemetery, Mister Scott Crawford. Scott, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Thomas. How are you doing? I'm a grizzled character actor. <laughs> I'm Adam Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. That's all we have. As we said at the end of last week, um, we wanted to do a tribute to the recently fallen, beloved character actor, Dick Miller. Um, Dick Miller, for those of you who don't know, um, was born in uh, 1928, uh, December 25th, 1928, and uh, recently passed away on uh, January 30th, 2019. Um, he was a beloved sort of staple of B-movie cinema. Um, he got to start with Roger Corman, uh, who was a famous sort of schlocky film producer still is to this day. I would recommend watching the documentary That Guy, Dick Miller, which I believe is still on Amazon as of when we're talking here. And uh, that documentary talks about him being discovered by Roger Corman. He went out to L.A. to try and be a writer first, actually. And he couldn't get much work as a writer, so he ended up uh, doing a lot of odd jobs all around, which is ironically what he would become famous for playing years later in a lot of movies. And Roger Corman literally discovered him while he was delivering a package with his buddy, Roger Corman was like, I like your look. I want to cast you in this Western I'm doing. And from there, he would appear in so many Roger Corman movies. And then people who would work with Corman later, filmmakers who would be future leading heads of the industry, like Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese or James Cameron, loved Dick Miller's visage and put him in their movies. And then that also inspired another generation to put him in several movies, usually as, as I mentioned, kind of working-class, blue-collar stiffs. Uh, probably the most famous role of his would arguably be uh, Mr. Futterman in the Gremlins films, but he's been so many other things, and he was probably the first character actor I ever recognized as, like, that guy. You know, the sort of person who you see is like, oh, it's that guy! And, because I remember when I was a kid, I watched Gremlins, and then I watched the Terminator later, and I'm like, hey, that's the old guy from Gremlins, and then I connected it from there, and I love character actors in general, but especially Dick Miller, always a welcome presence, and it was a real bummer when he died about a month ago. That was that was the first celebrity death in a little bit I've been really, really bummed by myself. Yeah, um, same here. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, he's been in so many of my just all-time favorite movies, still... Movies that I consider my top. I mean, like you already said, a couple of them. Gremlins 1 and 2, Terminator. I mean, the guy's just an, he's an icon. Yeah, he absolutely is. Like you guys as well. Gremlins 1 and 2 were childhood movies of mine, and I still love them to this day. And yeah, I will always know him as Mr. Futterman. And just seeing him in all these other films as I've grown up, it's just amazing how many films he's actually been in. Yeah, particularly he was Joe Dante's good luck charm. Uh, we talked about in our Joe Dante episode where he appeared in The Burbs and Looney Tunes back in action, but he was in most of his movies pretty much, because especially of all the people, Joe Dante was such a huge student of Corman and loved Dick Miller and was like a genuine friend of his. And I, I was so especially sad seeing like him post about it. You know, he was very close to Miller and his wife, uh, Sheila. Once again, I recommend watching that documentary uh, because the two of them have such a lovely relationship that's very much based off like they're quipping with each other they're having fun but you really felt that love and especially i love the bit where she shows oh i did this portrait of dick um when i was younger uh back in like the 70s 
And the director says, so what inspired you to do, you know, that painting? And Dick just leans his head and he said, me, I inspired. <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. Um, actually, also, she was actually uh, the stripper that Dustin Hoffman goes to see in The Graduate. That's her. Yeah. That's oh, like, wow. one big acting role. But, uh... Yeah, so Dick Miller, obviously, um, was in so many movies, um, and we're going to talk about two of them tonight. Uh, we picked, at the end of our last episode, Adam and I came to the table with two movies, um, and we ended up randomly picking our... First, we're going to discuss the bad feature, which we usually don't do, um, but it's there's a lot of reasons why we're going to probably talk about Chopping Mall from 1986 first, and then after that, we're going to lead into our good feature, which is Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. Uh, from 1995. So well, let's go ahead and get this started then with Chopping Mall. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. But you're never alone in the Chopping Mall. What's that? Robot life. Chopping Mall. We're shopping costs you an arm and a leg. So, uh, Chopping Mall came out, like I said, in 1986. Actually released, limited in theaters on uh, March 21st, 1986, under the title Killbots, um, and was uh, directed and co-written by Jim Wernorski, um, and features not just Dick Miller, but a lot of other uh, celebrated favorites of the horror genre. Um, like, you got Kelly Maroney in the lead role, who you might recognize from Night of the Comet. Um, and yep. also and also briefly in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, she plays the Spirit Bunnies cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Like, we call ourselves Spirit Bunnies now. Um, she's great. Uh, but also Barbara Crampton, of course. Um, and you got uh, Paul Bartel and Mary Warnov um, reprising their roles from Eating Raul, which is really weird in a cameo that I'm not sure why they're particularly there. But they're fun. Yeah, I thought that was strange as well, actually. <laughs> Especially the, the reference specific stuff from that movie, like the whole thing about oh, the we should have one of those at the restaurant to dispose of people we don't like, is directly referencing like the plot of Eating Raul. It's like I don't know how this really connects. I don't know. Maybe they're friends with the director or something. Um, and then uh, Garrett Graham also shows up, who you might recognize from *Fame of the Paradise* and *Used Cars* um, and *Child's Play* too, among several mm-hmm. other things. Um, but basic plot synopsis of this movie is just, um, it's about a group of kids who are working at this mall and they decide, oh, hey, we're going to have a party at the furniture store that most of the guys work at, um, and have open sex in the middle of the displays. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, but the mall has installed new security in the form of small truncated killer robots that are going around. They say, oh no, they just stun people. But uh, they end up doing a lot of uh, shocking and um, grabbing and um, a lot of other stuff that ends up killing people as they go crazy. Uh, but no chopping. I was just enough. about to say that. <laughs> uh, so zero out of ten. This is a terrible movie because it's false advertising. No chopping <laughs> yeah. at all. Like not one, even one limb, not one hand gets chopped off anything. Uh, terrible. No. Yeah, and that poster art is just so... Uh misdirected too it's like oh that looks like it's gonna be a serial killer in the mall oh no <laughs> right yeah it's got like it's this metal hand that's holding like a shopping bag it's like shopping mall oh shit it's a slasher movie nope kill the robots nope. <laughs> it's like the fucking robots from rocky 4 just got went nuts that's not a bad one i would also say it kind of looks like um the prototype for ed 209 kind of with the visor yeah for sure yeah, uh, and, yeah. They're, and they're fucking um grabber arms that look like the What's elderly the I mean, things. Just throw Johnny Five in there, too. I, well, I was just going to say Johnny Five, actually. <laughs> and there's not a lot necessarily to say about Chopping Mall, because uh, it's very lean, it gets very much to the point. It's 76 minutes long with credits. Uh, right. So there's not necessarily a lot on the bone there. Um, but I think the reason I really mainly wanted to discuss this one first is because this is the prototypical Dick Miller role. Dick Miller would, in most cases, appear in one scene as some sort of blue-collar worker. In this case, he plays a janitor named Walter Paisley, which is a recurring joke because that's his character from A Bucket of Blood, um, the Roger Corman film that was sort of his breakout and was almost the choice that we did for a good film. Um, And it's also interesting because uh, this was technically a Corman-adjacent project in that it was produced by uh, Roger Corman's wife, Julie Corman. Yeah, and you can see a lot of uh, nods to Corman's work with, like, the 
posters inside the restaurant, like Galaxy of Terror. Oh, yeah, the posters that are put on there with, like, tack, as opposed yeah. to, like, being framed yeah. in that restaurant. <laughs> right. A shitty restaurant. <laughs> Run by my favorite character of the whole movie, the stereotypical Italian guy, just like, yeah, girls, what they gonna do? And do what's hot, the call. <laughs> he's got sick... he's cooking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when that, by the way, that uh, cook is played by Mel Wells, who was Mr. Mushnick in the original Little Shop of Horrors with Dick Miller. Oh, no, oh, no shit. Yes. But, but yeah, Dick Miller in here, uh, like I said, plays Walter Paisley. He's disgruntled, blue-collar worker uh, who ends up getting killed very quickly by this robotry sassism. Which um, fits pretty well for Dick Miller's usual type. Um, but but yeah, how about uh, Scott, our guest? What were your uh, first impressions of Chopping Mall? Oh, let's see. This is probably like my, huh, I want to say like sixth or seventh time watching this movie. I I adore it. It's completely just bad movie just in general. But I have so much fun with it every time. But uh, yeah, I think this is just kind of one of those... Uh, just nostalgic 80s uh, horror films where, yeah, there really isn't shit to the film except for just like a body count but and uh, synth score and, you know, a lot of unlikable characters like, uh, what was his name? Uh, John Terleski. I forget the character he played. Uh, he was the bubblegum chewing uh, kind of douchey guy. Yeah, most, Mike. Yeah. He has the most punchable fucking face I actually watched a film recently with him in, and it was uh, him playing the main role of a film and called Death Stalker Two. I o- just also made by it. Jim Wernarski. It's like his delivery, especially on the line, but like, did you get the beer, Mike? It's like, dude, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's very sort of he's one sort of a ski suit away from being a villain, like Hot Dog the movie, essentially. Oh, that is a perfect summation. <laughs> he's, or like, he's... or one of the you know whatever they are and the alphas in um revenge of the nerds oh that's true he is like a leatherman jacket away from just saying nerds. yeah for sure <laughs> yes definitely um oddly the heroes of those movies now in retrospect and <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, anyway but I, I mean i kind of agree i thought i had seen this movie before but i realized i'd definitely seen clips of this movie before i hadn't really seen it in full um, and, you know, despite being our bad pick, and despite, like I mentioned, being very lean, um, at the same time, it doesn't waste a lot of time. It knows exactly what it wants to be, it gets in, it gets out, and it's fun, for what it is, honestly. Yeah, um, it's, I had... it's super fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of that, though, has to do with somebody like a Kelly Maroney and Barbara Crampton. I do agree that all the guys are very disposable, whatever, who occasionally just deliver fun lines, like, um, I do love, let's send these fuckers a Rambo, Graham. Like, okay. <laughs> Calm down, man. <laughs> my favorite, dude, my favorite is the guy who was in, I think he's in Friday 13th Part 2, maybe 3. Uh, yes. Yep. The one who gets hung upside down and gets his neck cut with the wrong side of a machete. Right. But, um, it would, dude, when he's shooting at the thing and he hops on that little fucking, like, golf cart and drives super <laughs> slow towards it, shooting at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? And he gets electrocuted terribly. <laughs> with, mainly, with the great 80s animated lightning effects, I always love uh, seeing. Uh, which also is how Dick Miller dies with the lightning effects. Great. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so great. Um, but, but no, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I think it's a lot to do, though, with... Uh, someone like Barbara Crampton, especially Kelly Maroney, I think really holds this movie together because she's not the typical person who would be sort of like the final girl of these movies. You figure like a Barbara Crampton would end up being that, um, but she dies in a spectacular fashion uh, by getting caught on fire and turning into a male stuntman in the fire suit. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you notice too, like uh, where her hair is supposed to be, it ends up being like a canvas bag. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, and also, did not ever listen in school about stop, drop, and roll. Clearly, she just kind of like nope. flops around, like uh, uh, eh. she Dead. barely even flops. She kind of just lays on her stomach, dude. That's true. <laughs> she, she got like very slowly crawls around. For sure. Uh, What's your but, name getting her head blown off was pretty cool. Yes, that's the best death of the movie. Um, yeah. We're referring to Susie, oh, Susie Slater. Uh, getting her head exploded is definitely that's like the big highlight death of the whole movie because most of the other deaths are like I mentioned it's like they sort of like pinch the necks of these people or electrocute them or shoot them with lasers shit like that but yeah that's the sort of show stopping number of all the kills in the movie and it's so spectacular so spectacular they show it twice at the end of the credits that's her title card 
bow. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty dope, too. But, uh, Adam, you picked this one, and, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, and, and Neil, you were tasked with doing the bad movie, necessarily, but you said something pretty accurate, that um, you picked this one mainly because it's one of the few where Dick Miller has, like, a name and has more than five seconds of screen time. He has, like, at least two minutes here. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, just... Well, first of all, picking bad Dick Miller movies... I mean, throw a dart at a dartboard. It's, you know, in a wall, you're going to hit one. Because, I mean, he was just in everything. I love the guy, but he was in a bunch of bad movies. But he's always, you know, garbage truck driver or security guard one or dishwasher or to find one that he's actually got a first let alone a last name is really difficult to do um especially in one that you would consider bad because of the ones where he typically does have a full credit name or the ones you remember him for and you know like murray futterman but um yeah this this was super super hard to pick for and and i had seen this before i picked it um I mean, let's just let's just call it what it is, guys. It's a fun movie, but it's not a good movie. Oh no, it's, it's cheesier than hell. It's you know, like I said, like Thomas said, the the out in the open like bang session. I never understood that. Like, dude, nah, just <laughs> you can't go on like out in the mall or another store or you know home. Yeah, especially yeah. like you're with your friends and they're all kind of either having sex or especially the two who are watching the movie, Cal Maroney and the nerdier guy. Yeah, or just, just like, chilling on the couch. You, you can't go into like the Radio Shack or something like that. <laughs> I mean, all I gotta say, guys, is don't knock it until you try it. I mean, it, it's fun. Oh, I said that out loud, didn't I? That's awful. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and especially with another one of my favorite stupid lines, um, where I believe Mike is going down on Susie and she says, Mike, you know, I don't allow that. Like, yeah, a dude wrote this, didn't he? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but no, yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't waste a lot of time either with this. And it, it has a small budget, but it knows exactly how to use it. Um, I do love that they shot in the same mall as Commando. Which I immediately recognized because of the oh, elevators so, and the streamers. Yeah, me too. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they were shooting around the same time, actually, but obviously they were shooting at nights versus Commando could do pretty much whatever the fuck it wanted um, at that point. Um, if those two movies bled together, they'd have no problems. Those robots wouldn't stand a chance. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> right? Arnold Schwarzenegger was with those John, guys. John Matrix going after the robots. They're done. <laughs> Stick out. Let off some steam, robot. I want to see this movie. Yeah, hell yeah. We and, should write it. We could make a million dollars. Especially if you use just the same exact robots and don't update the special effects technology at all. At all. And you know, and Kelly Maroney gets her own Arnold Schwarzenegger moment at the end where she repeats the have a nice day bit. Which, in, which I don't understand. I don't know that paint works like that. I don't think if you pour paint on the ground and then light it on fire, it creates a bomb. And it's it's all super lead line paint from Johnny. <laughs> so, so like Superman couldn't see through it, but I don't, still don't know that it would cause a massive explosion. I'm not exactly well, I mean, sure. She did throw like thinner down. It looked like like a clear still, like gas still, substance, but I mean not enough to make an explosion. No, make maybe make a fire. You're right. A good fire. Which, but hey, you know, again, I'm arguing semantics in a movie where robots shoot laser beams out of their eyes. (laughs) Or, or, yeah, especially, they they shoot laser beams out of their eyes, and when you have close-ups, you can clearly see where, like, the plastic is cracked on their eyes. Oh, I I know. They they clearly just like, oh, man, we only have three of these things, and we're not going to really have a budget to, like, afford more. Um, I love the fact that these robots are so impractical, but they're still able to do things like the one that goes up the escalator, which obviously is yeah. a shot of like clearly like some crew member with the thing on top of him, so that you can't have the fucking wheels that wouldn't fit up those fucking escalators. Yeah, I was trying to picture how that actually worked with like the tank tread going up an escalator. It, no, there's just no way. No, there would not. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> um, but they're still fun, and they'd still definitely like my favorite cheap effect of anything though has to be the moment where like um, Kelly Maroney's inside of the pet store. And she's underneath, and there were actual, like, tarantulas and spiders at one point. They're, like, crawling around her. You're like, oh, my God, wow. They actually got, like, these real fucking things to crawl over Kelly Maroney. And then when she gets up, there's clearly rubber spiders. Yep. Don't look anything (laughs) 
Like that fucking <laughs> the tarantulas. Great. And they just kind of roll off of her. Exactly, yes. And there's someone clearly got something tied to the snake and like pulling it. Yes. That snake is moving so unnaturally. It's not even funny. <laughs> They're clearly just wrenching pulling it. Like, come on, come on, move. <laughs> but, and the thing is, too, so they could have just done that from the beginning, just hid. Yeah, because like they if they would have just, just stayed in their building, like uh, stayed in each one of their uh, like stores, they would have been fine. Yep, just hid till the morning and could have got out. But you know, <laughs> I guess what do you got? Three, three, mind you, robots that are only on the top levels. You got to run around like crazy to try to get away from them. So I get it. Don't move fast either. Yeah, no, they, no. they go at most like two miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That one guy could have got on that go-kart and just drove away. <laughs> right? They're very slowly getting away. <laughs> right. <laughs> Conclusion, <laughs> error, error. Um, no, but but yeah. It, but at the same time, like we I keep mentioning, it doesn't waste time. The only times where it's really slow is there's just this weird moment where they have to talk about, oh man, you know, uh, I realized if, if we survive this, we're going to be indebted to this mall for so long. It's like... I don't know, you could, like, sue them for these robots going this crazy, I guess? Yeah, yeah, I'll say uh, that, that's life endangerment right there, and yeah. you did already lose a couple friends. It's like, but no, we snuck into the store after hours, like, yeah, but you didn't put these things in here that killed people when they're not supposed to kill people anyway. <laughs> right. So I think you're fine. I don't think you owe this mall anything. You could just sue this fucking mall and be fine. For life. Yeah, for life, you'd be set, yeah. pretty much, yeah. You could um, own them all, like every kid's dream. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know, and now, if you're a kid now, you could probably own them all. There won't be yeah, anything sure. in it, but you could probably own it. <laughs> yeah, there's several around me that give off real, like, kidnappy vibe as soon as you walk in them. <laughs> that give off real, oh man, this has been, like, abandoned for years, but not really. Technically, because, like, couple stores are still open. Yeah, they're still an airbrushing stand and, like, a Far East Trader. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, nowadays, you have to wait until the mall closes. Like, yeah, you can shoot now. But nobody's here. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, there's nobody here. <laughs> Hell, there's a mall down the down in the Flint area, where I like near where I live, called the Dort Mall. And it is just, like, abandoned. There's, I think, uh, two stores and a restaurant with 20 empty spaces. I mean, I have one right now where it's like, there's there was a Sears in that closed, and several stores are closed in between. Like... On one side is a couple open stores, and across several feet is, like, a movie theater. And that's it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's all there is. Um, it's almost as if now uh, we're running out of steam about talking about shopping mall, I guess. So... Yeah, the other thing about malls, what they didn't understand is the <laughs> desire of the consumer in the late 80s is not... It's... <laughs> Very true. Um, but I guess we'll go into final thoughts. Then, uh, Scott, our guest, go ahead and start with final thoughts on shopping mall. Alright, so yeah, like we've been saying, this is, you know, a fun movie. It is, you know, I would consider this a bad movie, but, you know, 80s bad movie compared to nowadays bad movie, it has a a special charm to it. And with this one, with the special effects, the cheesy robots, I mean, we didn't talk enough about her, but Barbara Crampton, if any movie she's in, I am a huge fan of. And uh, the synth score is awesome, like the little nods to Corman's other pictures, just like a little, the little things you can see, the characters are fun. This is like something I would recommend for anybody. That's just a, uh, a horror fan that loves the eighties horror films. Adam, you made a good point. You know, bad movie in the eighties compared to bad movie. Now there, there really is no comparison because you can tell that they were trying in earnest to make a, a fun, scary movie here where nowadays it's all about just hopefully making a buck. Or you know they don't appreciate what they have. Um, they made the most out of the budget that they had. They made the most out of their cast. Everything. I, it's a fun movie. It's just super fun. Like I said, I I agree. I could sit there with a couple buddies and have a couple drinks or whatever the hell kids are doing now. What is it, Molly? You kids are doing <laughs> Molly <laughs> and watch this movie and have a good time. I could see. I want to see you on Molly, Adam. That that sounds like a good even, time. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I, don't, I legit don't even know. You know crystal meth? It's like yes. that, but more readily available. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that, that's oh, pretty much what it is. So I am on Molly right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're on the uh, very cheap version of Molly. But I mean, yeah, I, I agree with what you guys are saying pretty much. Uh, there's not a lot to say, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie overall. It's one of the better of the bad movies we've definitely covered on the show. Um, because it's it's definitely, like you guys mentioned, it's very earnest. It has a lot of charm in that way, I think. Like I was kind of mentioning earlier, like Kelly Maroney, I think, is especially the big sort of savior of the movie, where she's not the typical final girl, but in a way that's kind of endearing. You get the sense that her and Barbara Crampton are very good friends, and then it kind of, you know, it does definitely suck when Barbara Crampton dies. And you feel for Kelly, and you kind of, she is the backbone that makes the movie work as well as it does. But there's also little bits of flair with, like, the various character actors that show up. Um, I, I really like, we didn't mention much about Garrett Graham, but he comes in as like the secondary scientist, uh, slash mm-hmm. security guard who's just like, Oh, I wish this guy cleaned up after he gets killed and he looks around and then eats the guy's donut. <laughs> like what reveals yep. the donut. And I, I love Garrett Graham. Every, like he's like another one of those character actors. That's just uh fun when you see him in a movie. Always. Yes, for sure. Um, and it's, like I mentioned, it's, it's fun for what it is. It's small, and like I said, it does not waste time. It knows exactly what it wants to do. Goes in, out. Doesn't waste much of your time while doing it. So, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, You could find a worse way to waste an hour and change. Because, like, literally... Oh, they, for sure. Without the credits, I think it's like 65 minutes. So, you're fine. <laughs> you, they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really want to stretch it out as much as possible, for sure. Uh, But... Now let's get into our good feature, which we'll have more to say, I would definitely say, with uh, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Oh, hello, kitties. Your pal, the Crypt Keeper, has gone Hollywood in a big way. Frights! Camera! Action! It's about a chase through the ages, a race against time, and the final battle between man... Demon. So, Demon Knight, uh, which was released uh, January 13th, 1995, uh, features Dick Miller, and a uh, cast full of, once again, great character actors, um, most of them, um, and this was the first of what was supposed to be a big franchise of movies that kind of spun off of the Tales from the Crypt TV show, which is based on the EC Comics line, obviously, and that was a show that lasted from, like, 89 to 97 on HBO, the one with the Crypt Keeper coming and introducing anthology stories, and uh, this was the first of what ended up being technically three of them, because there was this one, and then in 1996 there was Bordello of Blood, um, and then in 2001 there was one called Ritual, which initially wasn't... was went through so much limbo about, like, it was kind of a Tales from the Crypt movie, then it wasn't, and then when it was released on DVD, they added in the Crypt Keeper in sort of bookending segments, um, which I've only seen the bookending segments of that movie, um, and it involves the Crypt Keeper in Dreads doing a Rastafarian accent, and it's not good. (laughs) Um, But, and even then, you know, Bordello of Blood also not that great, I would say. No. Um, Arguably no, pretty... Blood is horrible. No, yeah. Because um, who thought, hey, Dennis Miller as our lead, great idea. Yeah. Uh... And, and get, let's give uh, Corey Feldman a big role and just <laughs> let him go crazy in it. And that'll work. Yeah. And, and oh. uh, let's give Sylvester Stallone's model girlfriend who had never been in a movie before. The, yeah, give her the main villain. Yeah, give her the main villain role. Not the oh, it's, it's a very bad movie. It's interesting, especially sort of the genesis of that sort of Tales from the Crypt movie franchise, especially considering Demon Knight was not originally planned as this. It was a spec script that had been written um, by Mark Bishop, Ethan Reef, and Cyrus Forrest uh, that had been going around Hollywood. It was going to be made at several different points by people like Tom Holland. That was going to be his follow-up, actually, to um, Child's Play. Um, then Mary Lambert was going to do it, and then Charles Band was going to do it. But all those productions fell through until Joel Silver um, saw this script and decided to make it as a Tales from the Crypt movie. And I'll say this obviously has the Crypt Keeper in bookending segments where he's like making a movie and he's sort of framed as the director. And those segments are fun, but also don't fit this movie at all. No, they really no, don't. Really. Yeah. And Ernest Dickerson, who is the actual director of this movie, um, I saw an interview where he talked about the whole point that 
you know, these stories for Tales from the Crypt were always sort of like uh, morality plays and sort of dealt with assholes who get their comeuppance by the end of the story. And that's not this movie really at all. It's sort of more of like an action horror thing. It's kind of like, imagine crossing Evil Dead with like Highlander. Yeah, that's a pretty apt description, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I wish it wasn't necessarily attached to Tales from the Crypt, if nothing else, so it could be successful enough to where we would get sort of more of this universe. Because um, this was my pick, and I picked it because I fucking love Demon Knight. I think Demon yeah. Knight is the supremely underrated 90s horror movie that I would have loved to have seen like more sequels of, just because the mythology they set up basically, for those who don't know, is uh, William Sadler plays this guy who at the beginning is being chased around by this guy named The Collector, played by Billy Zane. William Sadler, as Frank, has this sort of um, key jewel kind of um, amulet thing that stores blood inside of it, and that blood initially was there at the fucking crucifixion of Jesus Christ, so it has a bit of Jesus' blood in it, but also all the different blood of these various uh, demon knights who have been basically going around trying to protect the world from demons trying to come in, and the blood has supernatural abilities and all this other stuff, but when we see them, uh, obviously having this car chase, we don't quite know that yet, and Frank ends up holding up inside of a hotel while the collector is being kind of interrogated by some cops after this big car crash that happens during the chase, and it ends up being sort of like a little siege movie that happens where the collector arrives at the hotel where... Frank and all these colorful characters are, which include people like Dick Miller, of course, but also uh, CCH Pounder um, and Jada Pinkett Smith, very young in her career, and uh, Thomas Hayden Church and Charles Fleischer, a lot of great actors that pop up in here. Um, and they basically have to hold up against these demons that are trying to come into the hotel and get that key so they can destroy the blood that can actually seal them up, um, sort of create force fields that prevent the demons from coming in. And that mythology is so cool, and especially how it sort of ends up becoming a story of succession, where uh, Frank kind of has Jada Pinkett take on the mantle of the Demon Knight by the end of it. Uh, I I wish we got on to see more of this, because I love this universe, I love this concept, and I love how they, it's another example of where it isn't a huge budgeted movie. Um, it cost $12 million, made about $21 million, so it was a pretty moderate success. But I would have loved to have seen more of just, like, the succession and continuing on with, like, expanding this a bit more, seeing more about these demons, and especially seeing more people like a Billy Zane come in here and just steal the show for so much of it. Um, it's arg- I would say it's his best performance. I, I don't think it's arguable at all. I mean, yeah. he just shreds the screen every second. From when I very first saw this movie, because I saw it when it came out, and I still quote one of his lines, bunch of hold out, load out, motherfuckers! Yes, great. (laughs) I laugh every time. It's the best. He's so good in this movie, man. This movie alone is why I'm like, eh, give Billy Zane a break. He doesn't know what he's doing most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Like every Temptation Island movie or whatever the hell he's in. Like, oh, it's okay. Or like fucking Scorpion 4 or whatever directed video sequel oh, issues stuff in. Oh my I, God. I, I watched that. Oh, yeah. I watched those. I don't know why I did, but I did. But, um, yeah, no, he's great. And I've always liked William Sather. I still love William Sather. So, I mean, this movie was just, I think it's a perfect mix. It's funny. It's the makeup effects are fantastic in this. The mm, practical yeah, effects. That's, I mean, they're. I forgot how good these practical effects are. Mm-hmm. And the cast is just incredible. I, I just, yeah, I'm with you, Thomas. I love this movie. I think this is, people know about this movie, but I don't think it's nearly appreciated as much as it should be. Because I, I agree with you. People are like, oh, the Tales from the Crypt movie. Well, it's more than that. Yeah, I think it just kind of gets sidelined to sort of like, oh, it was a movie that couldn't really stand on its own, so it had to be a Tales from the Crypt thing. It's like, I, I really don't think... That, I think, to be fair, without the Tales from the Crypt moniker, we wouldn't have this movie, given all the production attempts that were done on it. Mm-hmm. But at at the same time, I think it exceeds that because it has so much more of a wider scope. If I Like, the biggest problem I have with sort of those opening bits is not just the tonal stuff, but then we get the traditional Tales from the Crypt sort of very basic um, opening titles, and that feels completely incongruous with that awesome car chase that's going on at the beginning of this movie. That doesn't feel at all like a TV production whatsoever. Yeah, because that car chase and the explosion that uh, 
ensues is just incredible and yeah definitely like above anything tv budget wise they could ever afford i think and that's not downplaying tales from the crypt obviously which we're all fans of the show i assume oh Oh, i love tales from the crypt but i think it's in stark contrast to like five minutes prior you had this joke with like john larroquette being a serial killer in like the fourth wall breaking it it does feel kind of weird but but still anyway like scott what about your thoughts on demon knight uh yeah i'm right there with you guys this is just a really fun awesome horror film and i would say it's probably in my top five horror films of the 90s for sure i mean it's not saying much because there was a lot of crap in the 90s but you know this is one of the gems that stands out and billy zane is just incredible in this role like i still am baffled that it's actually him playing this demon he's like so charismatic and yet so dangerous at the same time he like plays a perfect villain and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is for wasn't this like her first uh, appearance? No, she'd been in a few other things. Like Menace to Society was like her big breakout role. Oh, um, that she it. showed up here. Yeah, she's really good in this as well. William Sadler always almost everything I've seen him in, he's incredible. Thomas Hayden Church played a perfect fucking dickhead like he usually does. Evening hotel yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh and yeah like the demons themselves just look really freaking cool and i especially like the little kid when he gets turned into a demon that thing yes. looks disturbing as shit that's so gnarly we're just like his mouth is like open like a snake so it's almost like his entire neckline down but yeah this is just a blast from beginning to end it has kind of a feel of like tales from the crypt when you're watching it but it like like you said the story isn't a story of morality at all and it you know obviously feels bigger budget because it is but i don't know there was something about it maybe it's just kind of like that darker almost gothic feeling to it that just kind of fit the tales from the crypt uh episodes that i watch well i mean yeah and there's also some humor obviously tied into there i think dick miller especially has a lot of sort of the humor that would come across as uncle willie he definitely comes off as a traditional kind of blue collar dude that you would expect dick miller to be but I think it actually gives him a lot more range, because the, the big thing with him being in this movie was Aaron Stickerson was a huge fan of Dick Miller from, like, growing up on Roger Corman movies. This is a great example of sort of that post, sort of, like, second-generation example. Aaron Stickerson growing up on not just Roger Corman movies, but also, like, the various, like, Joe Dante and James Cameron and all those other people who would put him in as a second wave. And this is like kind of the start of that third wave where people would be like, oh my god, Stick Miller from like Gremlins and all this other stuff I grew up loving. I'm going to put him in this movie. And actually, Ernest Dickerson gave him a lot more room to kind of like, well, you know, you can play a bit more with Uncle Willie. He's a bit more of like a, you know, smaller character in the script. And they allowed him to kind of expand upon it. And I think it has so much more range for him as an actor. Where especially he's able to do like really funny things, like the bit where you sort of get the... Uh, fantasy of what Billy Zane's giving him <laughs> and uh, the, with the little bar sequence where he's just playing before like oh my god oh, all these ladies they're all around at the bar <laughs> so that another, fantasy scene was great <laughs> yeah especially has another great Billy Zane thing where it's like hey Uncle Willie try this on for size it'll just fuck you up real bad <laughs> uh, another, <laughs> another great Billy Zane bit but also it's probably the only time I can ever think of where dick miller gets to be genuinely intimidating when he gets possessed he's terrifying and it it plays a lot on sort of the nice charismatic sort of older uncle character that he plays in the movie and then having that go across especially the way jada pinkett's reacting about just like don't let me do this don't make me do this to you uncle willie just like oh fuck i really feel genuinely emotional about this like i i've never been terrified by dick miller before but yeah he 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 put the fear in me a little bit yeah, with those green eyes and the giant chompers, uh, it works perfectly for him. But obviously, he's one of just a series of great character actors who we've mentioned in here. Um, I would say, personally, my favorite of the other cast members is CCH Pounder as the lady who owns the hotel. Because, um, obviously, CCH Pounder, you would know from a lot of TV work, especially, where she would show up as sort of, like, an authority figure who's, like, no-nonsense bullshitter in especially, like, the 90s and 2000s. What I like here is she's kind of playing against type in that she's still an authority figure, but she clearly has her life in fucking shambles, and she's just, like, smoking all the time, and she's a bit overweight, which was mainly done so they could have the arm prosthetic and hide her other arm a lot better um, once she gets her arm cut off. Um, and she just owns, though, that part, where especially the bit where she raises up her stub, and Billy Zane's like, I'll take that as a yes. It's like, no, that's me giving <laughs> you the finger, asshole. Great. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, I have a very 
a problem with CCH Pounder now because anytime I hear her name or her voice, I, I for some reason, man, I can't help but think of Dennis Reynolds doing the impression of her in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was so perfect. But no, she she's really good in this too. Um, she's actually probably one of the best in it as far as just straight giving it other than uh, Billy Zane. I mean, she's going for it. When she gets her arm ripped off, when she's drinking the vodka or just down in the liquor, constantly got that nasty, like, cigar bit in her mouth. Like, it's so disgusting. But um, And she makes what could have been the worst line of the movie perfect with the whole, like, get that pussy off the table. I meant the cat. She delivers right, it exactly. perfectly. Exactly. Another good bit in this movie is when, you know, Billy Zane's dance with Jada Pickett and then the fire comes out of his crotch. <laughs> oh so my stupid. god Woo, down boy like, come on. <laughs> honestly like the thing is with all the magical moments that happened with Billy Zane in this movie and it might have to do with a recent trailer that came out uh, I just realized you know what he's pretty much playing the evil version of like the genie from Aladdin so Will Smith 100%. shouldn't even be bothered shit. yeah I mean <laughs> yeah. he 100% is yeah no he definitely is or he's like he's basically the djinn from Wishmaster well, that's I mean, what I was just about to say I mean, he's also, he's very much playing, generally, like, a devil, as it were. You know, who's just trying to tempt people all the time. Really hamming it up. Oh, but doing it so well, especially with, like, that, you mentioned the tango bit, or um, another bit I love is the whole scene with Thomas Hayden Church actually handing over the key is just perfectly orchestrated. One, he comes up with the suitcase, and his demon buddies are, like, right ahead, and he's like, oh, excuse me, Phil. It's like, I get up. He's, like, <laughs> shimming around him. And yeah, Thomas then, Hatcher, you don't seem like such a bad fella, or you don't seem like such a bad fella yourself. <laughs> and, and how the sponge comes out of his mouth, and he hands it over to him. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> and then Thomas Hayden Church wipes it up, goes down the stairs, he's like, oh, by the way, I lied. And then Thomas Hayden Church... I forgot how fucked up he gets when that happens. He's like oh, he mauled to destroyed. death. Yeah, no, he's, he gets he, he gets maybe the worst. In stark contrast to Chopping Mall, um, all the deaths of this movie are brutal in the best way. Like Charles Fleischer gets it really bad in the movie too, uh, where he just gets mm-hmm. his like fucking head thrown around. Obviously, the big um, starting off point for all that is Billy Zane punching through that dude's head. Yes, yeah, and then he's kind of using the head as a extra fist beating up on William Sadler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And I love also, that has another great CCH Pounder bit, where he immediately punches through that dude's head, and uh, CCH Pounder, like, spits up whatever she's eating, like, oh, God! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great reaction shot as well. <laughs> We're mentioning, like, this all takes place inside of the one hotel, and um, it feels almost like, along with, I sort of mentioned, like, Highlander and Evil Dead, it kind of has, like, a Western siege movie feel to it too oh 100 yeah oh yeah definitely it, it looks like some seedy you know old bordello and you know death valley or something where the you know the bad the evil gangs laying siege to all the innocent people inside yeah totally i mean that that's what i was trying to get at earlier i mean they just mix so many different genres in this movie and it just all works i mean all of it works there's not one time where i think they go maybe a little too far with the jokes or a little bit could have amped up the horror a little more. I mean, it's all there, and it all works. Because they knew, to be fair, that the movie was going to be introduced and exited off by John Kassir doing terrible puns. So they're like, okay, we can't go yeah. too far. Because we're save all of that for the Crypt Keeper doing his shit, especially the lights, camera, action. By the way, I've met that guy in real life. That's mm-hmm. all he does. <laughs> I, I would think oh. Is laugh and, it, and do puns. Yeah, would you yeah, want him to do anything else, though, if you met him? No. No. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't want him to be like, hey, how you doing up, Jack Kassura? Have you accepted Lord as your uh, savior? Could you do that, but as the Crypt Keeper? It's like, have you accepted God as your Lord and Skaver? What do you know about railroad bonds? <laughs> and I love the fact that they have sort of Jada Pinkett as the successor in the story. Jada feels like, not necessarily a stereotypical, strong female character, but is very much a woman who's flawed, who she mentions that she, like, went to prison, and this is, like, sort of her trying to get out of it, is working at this particular, you know, hotel. And she feels like a very flawed, interesting character who I really dug the chemistry between her and William Sadler, sort of a mentor-mentee kind of thing. 
where William Sadler's been carrying around so much weight. You feel that he has, like, the weight on his shoulders, and he's trying to do something good by handing it over to someone who feels worthy, who you might not think would be worthy by the start of the movie, but has a genuine progression. I, I really love that arc of the movie, and I think it really comes across, especially in how she's tempted, and how she kind of fights off against Billy Zane, and how she's dragged around by Billy Zane at several points, is, like, in her undies by the end of the movie, but she has so much dominance and power at the same time, but especially that fucking spit take... Just oh yeah, the, the big climactic moment. I, I love that, and how she has like a very human grounded quality that I really loved about her character. And honestly, made me wish we got more Jada Pinkett in general because she kind of after this she hooked up with Will Smith and kind of like disappeared in terms of doing most acting stuff. Like now she's in fucking Madagascar movies. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think she does that heavy metal band too that I forget the name of, but yeah, she's the vocalist in that. She's actually really good in this, and um. I mean, she didn't really go on to do anything of note after this, really. When you think about it, like, she popped up in the very beginning of Scream 2. Oh, yep. And then I can't really... Um, well, she was recently in Girls Trip and Magic Mike XXL, to be fair. She, especially Girls Trip, I thought. Oh, was... right. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never seen it either. Girls Trip's actually pretty fun, and I think she's a good part of that ensemble. Um, but I, I think she's she's definitely she's appeared in other stuff like she was in Ali or the Matrix sequels. Mm. Oh, that's well, true. Uh, collateral. She was Niobe. I forgot about that. Yeah, but I, I only think she... just as of recent she started popping up in more things, and I'm I'm all for it because I think she's very talented when she, you know, actually puts herself out there and wants to be. And I think she's just kind of been hiding, you know, behind Will for the most part for like the, a solid decade and a half or so she was. And now I, I I like seeing her pop up in more stuff. I really dig that whole, the, the scene where she gets um, tempted by Billy Zane in the hotel room and it like stretches out and becomes like this sleek, modern chic kind of uh-huh. thing where it's clearly her, like she's tempted, her desire is to like leave the small podunk town. And she ends up getting that wish um, and desires of that have a lot more responsibility to them. But at the same time, she feels confident enough to be like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I want to fuck these demons. I'm going to take them out. I, I, that's the thing. I, I would have wanted to see a whole series of Jada Pinkett being a badass demon hunter. Or oh, I would love to pa- see that. Yeah, definitely. Or even like them passing it every couple movies. Yes. To somebody else would have totally worked. You know, just to piggyback on something you said earlier, I didn't see the Magic Mike films because I lived them. Great joke. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna try to get my new hour together. <laughs> it's gonna be on Netflix, guys. Look for that special. Yeah. Everything else is. As we kept mentioning with, uh, like, the effects work, it's interesting because there was a point where they almost didn't make this uh, at, with actual demons in it. There was a point where they kind of, like, wanted to budget things out. The Tales from the Crypt special effects guys were like, oh, hey, let me budget this out and here you go with this, like, what I'm thinking for the movie that we've pretty much seen here. And then the producers were like, uh-huh. Hey, we got a new script. Can you budget this? And it was apparently all the demons were, like, guys in suits, who had, like, flashing eyes and shit. And, like, the uh-huh. special effects guys were like, you know, we're gonna be laughed out of town if we have a movie called Demon Night and there aren't demons in it. But then they obviously, like, went back and they kind of rebudgeted everything, and for the better, because I, I agree with what you guys were talking about earlier, the special effects work in this movie is marvelous, with especially the way the demons are designed, and the way especially Billy Zane reacts off of them is incredible. Where they just feel like... Oh, co- yeah. Where they feel like just co-workers to him, or especially when, like, the little demon... Things are being born. He just kisses one. I was oh, just yeah. gonna see that too. So gross too. <laughs> so, so yeah, and that's yeah. another thing too. I wanted to say is like the demons in this also reminded me of a lot of what the demons from a lot of like demonic '80s films looked like. Because nowadays demons are all like CGI'd and look human. Maybe like their eyes go black or something like that. But no, these are like straight up gnarly, gangly, long limbed nasty looking teeth they're gross and they kind of remind me of Lumberto Bava's demons yes I can definitely agree with that I love that they got like gold earrings and stuff too it just adds a little bit something else to them yeah and then they also have a bit of a personality like where one gets shot in the head by Charles Fleischer and just laughs maniacally mm-hmm. and stuff like that where there's an intimidation but there is also sort of a playfulness that's going on with them at the same time and even like the, the conceit of having like the blood sort of act as a force field, I think it's genius too. And works so well where you have to like, especially when William Sather's like, oh shit, we have to go all around and uh, make sure that we seal off all these places. And it leads to 
also, I think this is a perfect example of how to use jump scares. It's not too much, it's not all over the place, and when they're there, they're effective, and more importantly, more scares follow up. It's not just the jump scare and we have nothing to follow it up on. Right. And another thing, too, uh, like that also kind of makes this movie stand out, because I don't know if I've really seen this before, but like the way you gotta take the demons out, you gotta shoot them in the eyes. Now that's that's fucking difficult. <laughs> right. Yeah, it adds more difficulty, and it also adds to more fun bits, like how Dick Miller ends up dying with, like, putting his head on the antlers, which is great. Oh, yeah. His, <laughs> his fucking body's still moving around and shit like that. Great stuff. Um, and, yeah, it, it adds more difficulty that gets you kind of engrossed in what's going on here. And I think also there's, along with some of the ahead-of-its-time elements with, like, having, you know, a main protagonist end up being a female black person that wasn't really as common, especially at that time, um, having stuff like... Uh, sort of the Thomas Hayden Church, Charles Fleischer, and Brenda Bach uh, character, th- that triangle, feels very much ahead of its time. You've got the sort of typical asshole boyfriend and the Foxy Minx character, but then Charles Fleischer as hashtag nice guy. <laughs> Pretty much just like, <laughs> oh, I could treat you so much better, Cordelia. Oh, no, I could. Um, and then, of course, the also kind of dated 90s thing at the same time of him being a postal postman. <laughs> with when yeah. they discover all the guns and shit like that. I think all that stuff, I think, makes this movie feel not necessarily specifically 90s, but sort of timeless in its own weird way. Yeah, I could see that. But then again, stuff like Jada Pinkett's hair, very 90s. Oh, yeah, very. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which I love, apparently, she just showed up to set with that hair, and they were like, uh, we, we didn't know you were going to do that. <laughs> we'll work <laughs> with it, I guess. Um, and you even mentioned some of the special effects stuff. I did hear, apparently, what they originally planned for the ending that happens is um, they were actually going to have Billy Zane's head sort of appear in, like, a big CG fire kind of thing. for Especially mid-90s CG. Yeah. Um, and they actually shot that, and they tested the movie. And they said 98% of the movie tested well, except for that bit, where everyone was like, what the fuck is this? having instead a more physical encounter where there's more of that humor that's going on the more actual physical interaction with those characters is so much more satisfying because the movie doesn't uh-huh. need a huge special effects moment like that it only needs a few spurts of it with like you mentioned the fire that's coming out of his crotch and shit like that um, <laughs> you, you don't need something being extravagant it's a great character based horror movie that knows when to let its budget flourish out and when to just let the characters actually interact with each other at the same time even like the Last scene of him, you get to like see him in his like full demon form for just a split second, which I thought that was like a nice touch, just kind of showing him in his real imposing self before oh, God, he went but out. When he, but when he fucking melts, though, that's horrifying too. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that it was only for a second too, though. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't because let's face it, it looks kind of silly. Yeah, but like that's what I say. Like for showing it for that split second, that was just all it needed. Yes, you fell in love with Billy Zane, this dude going around saying silly shit and being genuinely intimidating at points at the same time, this human character, versus when he becomes this big monster. It's only briefly because you don't need any more than that. Fine. Um, also, this was the first movie where Billy Zane didn't have a wig. Like, they apparently, he came to like a meeting where he was after he was casted and he came with a briefcase full of wigs. It's like, so we could use this one or this one. He's like, uh, how about you just go bald and it works perfectly for his character this is the first one where he went bald where he had freely admitted to being bald as opposed to wearing a wig oh wow yeah no he looks way better bald apparently um this was the movie that james cameron watched and said i want you as a villain in titanic that makes sense yeah i could see that yeah even though arguably that kind of killed his career because it's like oh man you're in the most famous movie of all time playing a prick who no one wants to really see in big movies <laughs> right Let's go into our final thoughts then, gentlemen, on Demon Knight. Scott, you start. Yeah, this is just an all-around, just a blast of a film. The one thing we didn't mention is it actually has, like, a really awesome soundtrack, too. Like, oh, very uh, 90s soundtrack as well. That that definitely yeah. dates the movie. <laughs> I actually owned the soundtrack before I actually ever seen the movie because of all the bands in it, like Pantera, Cemetery Gates, and uh, Gravediggers with their uh, 1-800-Suicide. Like, I still listen to those songs to this day, and it just makes me smile to hear them in this film nerd alert fuck dude you see this (laughs) shit i post i'm a total nerd (laughs) i'm a nerd and proud of it i don't give a fuck no i uh, love that the movie started off with that filter song that was such a cool way to start it 
we can skip past the filter song. <laughs> <laughs> like I was saying, the demons remind me of the old 80s demons, which I would love to see more of like in films nowadays because I love that like more monstrous, like just otherworldly look. And you just don't get that. And then, yeah, the gore, the characters are all very well portrayed and just a lot of fun. Billy Zane steals the show like all like like I expect him to. And but yeah, this is just an all around blast for me. Adam. I pretty much agree with everything Scott said, except that I don't ever really expect Billy Zane to steal the show. But he definitely does in this one. No, I think this is just a fun movie, man. Like I said before, it's a perfect mashup of, you know, three, four, five different genres, and it just all works. I, I do agree, though, that it could do probably without the bookends. But, you know, if we didn't have those, probably wouldn't have the movie, period. So Yeah, uh, I, I love this movie. It was probably the introduction to Tales from the Crypt, which, like I said, not probably the best introduction, given it's not quite Tales from the Crypt E. The only shame in those opening and closing bits is just the fact that it kind of isolates this movie to be an anthology. And it's one of the rare points where I would love if we had more sort of like anthology, especially horror series that were like this, where it's like one movie that's a whole story that doesn't necessarily need more sequels. But Demon Knight builds such a great world on a limited scale that I'm just like, man, I would love to see, even if they started going straight to video, Demon Knight five or six or whatever the fuck, because there's so much you can do with this concept. It's like we mentioned, kind of melds a bit of horror action, fantasy and Western to a certain extent. We didn't mention that the fact that Billy Zane comes into the movie with a fucking cowboy hat, (laughs) right? (laughs) It just immediately illustrates like this is going to blend a lot of genres together. And I think it has kind of gone to the wayside a bit more than some of the other nineties horror movies that do stick out because like we mentioned, kind of has that stigma of being attached to tales from the crypt. But it deserves so much more because it's like we mentioned, it's popular with so many great character actors who you would recognize for stuff that they had done previously or stuff that they would do after. And it, it has such a great mythology that it builds up with this and really good scares, makeup, horror moments. It's just, it's, it's so enthralling and fun and it definitely deserves a lot more credit and kudos than it currently gets. And as we mentioned with Dick Miller, it gave him one of his favorite roles he ever played. Oh, really? He has very publicly said that, including the fact that he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, the scene with at the bar, I had to do so many takes mm. of that. Yeah, of <laughs> I just couldn't get the lines right. I just couldn't. I'm sure he couldn't. No. <laughs> and who could necessarily? Right. For sure. um, but that is the end of our discussion of our Dick Miller double bill on the show. Uh, but we have uh, some things we want to do before we get out and before we do our big picking for our next episode. Uh, first, we want to read some feedback via the at DEDB pod Facebook page and Twitter page. Um, every Monday, we ask you guys, hey, what's your favorite and sort of least favorite movies of a topic we're about to do for an upcoming episode? And we asked you all about Dick Miller, obviously, in honor of this episode. And uh, we have a few feedbacks to read about that. Uh, Jacob Schott says... Uh, I will always think of him in Gremlins. His constant references to WWII stand out in particular. And when the Gremlins smash through his house with a plow. Brian Stitcher of The Horror Returns says, I love that his Murray Futterman character has so much more to do in Gremlins 2. Uncle Willie from Demon Knight. And I just love whenever he pops up in movies like A Cab Driver in Inner Space or The Delivery Guy in Small Soldiers. R.I.P. Um, and then Stephen D. at Waiting FTH says, uh, the flower-eating version of Dick Miller from Little Shop of Horrors was one of my favorites. Which I honestly forgot about that bit, but yeah, in Little Shop of Horrors, he is just a sort of side character at the beginning of the movie, and he literally is just starts eating flowers and actually brings out a thing of pepper and starts peppering <laughs> them, <laughs> which is great. Uh, it's a great bit in there. Um, and then all of those, obviously, we talked about some of those, like, Gremlins or... You know, Demon Knight, obviously. Can you guys name one other favorite that hasn't been discussed? Yeah, I would definitely say Buckets of Blood, for one. I love him in that. A Bucket of Blood is actually, it's really interesting. We kind of talked about it because we almost talked about it for the show. Um, it's a very short movie, and it was sort of his breakout. Um, it's such a weird fucking movie, because it's literally him as a sort of janitor at a coffee shop in the 50s that's covered in bohemians. And in order to impress them, he starts killing people and putting them in wax and cement so that he can make them his art. And they're like, oh, this is a great sculpture. It's just a, it's a great uh, <laughs> little bit. It's, it's a very interesting horror satire comedy that is one of a kind. Like, I can't name another movie similar to Bucket of Blood, really. No, not really. 
Yeah, and I mean, pretty much anything he did with Dante, dude. I, you know, the burbs, like we've talked about on an episode prior. Mm-hmm. I mean, how funny is that just whole scene, the garbage scene? And then, you know, the howling and the gun store clerk in Terminator. I mean, the guy's just been in so many things. I mean, to the point to where even if you when you look up his filmography, you're like, oh, my God, he was in that? Holy shit, I didn't realize he was in that. I mean, it, he was all over the place. You know, an underrated one for me, I would say, speaking of Dante, is Explorers. Um, yeah, yeah. Wait, he, plays he the, was in that? Yeah, he plays this guy who occasionally sees that the kids are trying to build the spaceship. And he was also somebody who like was interested in space travel as a kid, but never actually went out there. And honestly, one of my favorite shots in any Joe Dante movie is the bit where he comes across the kids as they're leaving on the spaceship. And he just looks up, and he has like a smile on his face that he just sees these kids going up. That moment gives me chills. That's a great, beautiful little moment of, like, this guy who never really thought, like, oh, my dreams are impossible. I, you know, I was a kid. I was doing silly things. And sees these kids actually manage to do it. It's kind of beautiful, really, that bit. Wow, I did not realize he was in it. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. And, of course, his buck in the original Piranha. Oh, God, yeah, oh, Mayor yes. Buck is just so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sir, the Piranha's reading the guests. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> playing a parody of obviously the Jaws mirror in a, uh-huh. a classic way. So, but yeah, thank you all for that feedback. And of course, we want to also thank uh, Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarda for the art for our show. Uh, she accepts commissions at Fiverr with two R's.com slash EE Scarda. And of course, thanks to our guest for the evening, Scott Crawford. Scott, plug yourself. What do you got out there? All right, thanks, Tom, for having me back on here. I appreciate it. But yeah, you can uh, find me at uh, the podcast by the cemetery where it's me and my two buddies. Uh, we just finished wrapping our 10th episode up where we uh, talk three different horror films that have black actors playing like prominent roles for Black History Month. So we got like uh, Sugar Hill from 74, Candyman, and Get Out. Um, and you can find us on the Legion Podcast Network, uh, legionpodcast.com, uh, iTunes. We actually just got ourselves up on Spotify. Uh, and you can also find our Facebook page, uh, the podcast by the cemetery. Uh, it's a group and it's been fairly active lately, which has been nice because for a while there, we just didn't really have much activity, but it seems to be picking up pace. Um and then, yeah, I'll do a quick uh, shout-out to the website I write for, too. I write for pophorror.com, and I'm a lead writer for the video game department, so check out some of my articles over there. And uh, They're covering Women in Horror Month right now, and there are amazing articles there. All right, glad to hear. Um, and you can also find us uh, on Twitter and Facebook, as I previously mentioned, at DEDBpod. Like I said, we post our little questionnaires about what the topics we're about to do and what your favorites and least favorites are there, and so if you post on there, we'll read on the show. Um, you can also email us with feedback at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. I'll spell it out. Um, I also have my own individual Twitter account at NotTheWho'sTommy. Um, and I also do writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. That's where I'll write movie reviews and other stuff like that. And I want to give a shout-out to actually the uh, podcast that our past guest Shaquille um, does sh- sequels, uh, because I recommended they do uh, their most recent episode as a one recording, Curse of Chucky, and they gave us a shout-out. So a shout-out to them. They're over at uh, Talk Film Society. Oh, right nice. on. Yes. That's a, good, that's a good show. It's funny. Yes. And, uh, and hey, they, they said with the uh, Curse of Chucky, it's the best movie they've covered on their show yet. So, you're welcome. Right. <laughs> um, and, of course, you can find Adam um, somewhere drinking and just looking up at the sky and saying, God's got a lot to think about tonight. That's pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> it's like Adam, it's not even thundering outside. He's got a lot to think about quietly. Yeah, it's just me <laughs> farting. <laughs> Indeed, that's what he's doing. Uh, but also make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and the Podbean app and YouTube. We're several places. Yeah, sure. and. Stitcher, of course, yes, and make sure to rate and review us there, because that gets us more notice on those various platforms, and we're very, very cloying, desperate people who need your attention. (laughs) But now comes to the end of our show, where we do our picks for the next week. So, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, every show, we both come to the table with two movies uh, based on a topic, 
that we're only aware of what the topic is. We don't know what each other's picked, and we switch off on good and bad quality. Um, Adam currently has the two good movies, and I have the two bad movies. For next week's topic, in honor of Captain Marvel's coming out, we are doing an episode on female-led action films. Yes. Yes. So, and normally we would each pick a number between 1 and 10, and whichever one gets closest to the numbers we've assigned for each of our movies... Um, ends up being the good and the bad feature. When we have a guest like Mr. Crawford here, he gets to take the gun and shoot us between the eyes. But which eye, left or right, is the question. So, Scott, for Adam's two good movies, number between one and ten. Oh, going to shoot for... Shoot for number nine. All right. At number ten, I have Haywire with Gina Carano by Steven Soderbergh. Oh, wow. oh, nice. Yeah. Yes. And then number one, I just literally went one and ten. I had uh, another one, one I haven't seen yet, but hey, there's a show based on now. I had Hannah. I love Hannah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, man. Neither uh, have I. It's really good. interesting that you picked two movies that are done by not traditionally action directors. Because uh, Steven Soderbergh and then Joe Wright directed Hannah, who's mostly known for bigger Oscar movies like The Darkest Hour recently, <laughs> amongst right, other things. Right. But yeah, I I dig both those picks. Uh, but now, Scott, for my two picks I don't dig as much, number two, one, and ten. All right, let's go with number three. Okay. At number four, I had uh, the big carte blanche movie for a certain director um, who would keep going on to get work for some reason after this. Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. Oh, oh fuck no. <laughs> oh, God. You're welcome, Adam. How boring. Oh, great. All right. Especially if you watch the director's cut with musical numbers in it. Oh, I've seen oh. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Um, uh, but then at number nine, I had one that uh, you know, is I think is kind of underrated in terms of what it is. I don't think it's a great movie, but um, it is Neil Marshall's Doomsday, which I you know gets a lot of hate. I liked it. Oh, nice. It's like half of an apocalyptic movie and then half like a medieval movie for, out of nowhere, but I like it. I think Doomsday's fun. It's it's fun for what it is. It's definitely very flawed. I could see why people didn't like it necessarily at the time. And uh, thank you, Scott, for appearing and doing that shooting. Nice shooting, text you. Oh, dumb motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Adam. Thanks, Thomas. I'm yes, I'm very sir. happy to be on here with you guys. And until next time, everybody, if I ever find the little bastards that did this, the dead meat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good night. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs>